G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. And so if there are little ones around, you might want to shield uh, little ears through this conversation as we get things underway. It is an intimate conversation ahead today as we explore what it takes to recover from the pain of an extramarital affair. Our special guests have written a book about their own experience. Their story is about lies, deceit and infidelity. But now Noni and her husband David have a fully restored and healed marriage. Beyond their own ordeal these days, they support and mentor men and women in overcoming the obstacles and shame associated with infidelity. David and Noni Yates are joining us. Their book is called Beyond Betrayal. And so, first of all, to you, Noni, a special welcome. Thanks, Neil. Thank you for having us. And to you, Dave, welcome along. Thanks, Neil. It's a pleasure to be here. Let me start perhaps with your story here. And I imagine with a conversation like this, there's a lot of background. There's a lot of backstory. It's all of those things that shaped you from your childhood into your teenage years and and how that actually reflects in the way that your relationships begin to evolve. But Noni, let me start with you, because we'll mm-hmm. come today, we'll put him on the spot in just a few moments, but uh, your story, mm-hmm. in a nutshell, that leads to a conversation like this today. Okay, well firstly, can, Neil, can I just say, um, a fully restored marriage is actually still one that's fully in process and, and progress. You know, And I, I do believe that we are much further down the road than what we were four years ago, um, but we none of us arrive this, this side of eternity. So we are building something completely new to the marriage that we did have, and, um, and we're still walking forward in that. So um, yes, works the, in progress. The thought of a fully restored marriage or that someone might be prideful and saying, I've been married a long time and infidelity, an affair, that mm. could never happen to me. Mm. That would be a wrong thing to say mm. because there are some vulnerabilities even in our makeup as men and as women that leave us exposed at times and there must be some things that we can do and we can get onto protections there for those vulnerabilities. Mm. But as you say, we're never fully there mm. because there could be temptation around any corner. Absolutely. I mean, that's what, you know, um, I think Anne and Brian Birch say, you know, vulnerability plus opportunity equals affair. And then there's, there's sayings about, you know, you can affair-proof your marriage. You cannot affair-proof your marriage. You can only affair-proof yourself. Mm. Individuals, and yeah. Ultimately, this is where we'll lead into a spiritual conversation, and we'll talk some more about this as mm. we go. But affair-proofing yourself takes your identity beyond the relationships that you have and says there is something higher mm. that I can actually get my identity and my security from, and that will be our relationship with God. Mm, absolutely. Take us back to early years, and I know this is going to be intimate and mm. open, 
but you went through some relationships in your early years mm. and mm. you experienced the thought of, you know, being in love with a person, mm. but mm. then realizing that there were a time when they would say, I don't love mm. you. Uh, thoughts here? Yeah. Um, okay. So I, um, my, um, background is um, as a 13-year-old girl, I was um, uh, sexually assaulted. And at that point in time, because it was someone that I knew, I didn't understand it for what it was. I blamed myself. I thought there was something I did wrong. And then out of that wrong thinking and that distortion, I behaved in ways um, moving forward and then at 16, 16 years old, so wise, um, I, I met someone who was an amazing, an amazing person who was quite a bit older than me. But I believed that that was my person. I was, that was going to fix everything. And with immaturity and trauma and um, wrong thinking, I went down a path and I really believed that I was going to marry this man. And then... He was terrified of me because he knew he was so much older, but I pursued, I pursued, I pursued. <laughs> and um, and then six months into that relationship, he said, um, I don't love you. And that I took that on. I, I told myself those words, I am unlovable. And I believed that lie. I believed that lie for a long time. And out of that, shut down my heart, put walls up and... Um, yeah, went on quite a destructive path for quite some time. We'll come back to some more. Uh, Dave, let me bring you into uh, the, the conversation here because I know that you say we believe a lot of lies about ourselves, but those lies are something that shapes us from our early years. And uh, you came from a dysfunctional family background. I think your wife, uh, your mother left your, your father uh, give us some idea about what shaped your early years here. Yeah, well, the incident you're talking about, Neil, um, was actually just a, a half-day moment when I was a very young child. Um, for all purposes, my family was really very normal and very functional, but that was a moment that, in fact, um, I'd even almost forgotten about, um, where my mother, uh, there was so much that was unseen, Look, my, my father adored my mother um, and there were they did the very best they could I mean uh, we had a very normal in the scheme of things uh, upbringing however what I found is I put meaning into, into events and there were things that I, don't re I didn't realise at the time, stuck with me. Uh, you say in your book, Dave, uh, a lie, and I think you call it lie number one. Yeah. If even the woman who loved you the most could leave you so easily, exactly, there could be no real trust yes. in relationships. Yes, you're right. And, and, you know, this is a lie I only discovered in recent years. I happen to actually share that occasion that I remembered in childhood with a counsellor of mine, what, about eight years ago? And they said, Dave, longer than that, maybe. Stop, Dave. No, no. this is actually since discovery. That was, that was oh. what, yeah. 
Yeah, was it? Yeah, yeah. there you go. None's much yeah. better at the time than me. But they said, hey, this is stop what you're doing. This is really significant. I said, oh, no, no, I was just a kid and mum was leaving and then she came back and she was crying because I chased her. And, you know, you've read that part of it. It was really quite... Traumatic. Um, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. We didn't realise... At the time, I, I just put it in the past, I didn't realise it was traumatic. Sometimes um, so, you don't realise so, there's traumatic things happening when you are a teenager. Yes. It's only in uh, afterthought when you think through what actually has happened. An earthquake has hit my absolutely. personal development uh, yes. by some of these things that you just brush it off at the time, but actually it has wide-ranging effects. It does, and then that gets reinforced by other small events of rejections, betrayals, um, which are... Uh, I'm afraid are quite part of growing up emotionally um, as a teen. And in that, um, there's an insecurity, an insecurity. Now, there's so much to the story. Uh, we've got to sort of move things along. Um, Nani, you were a hairdresser. Yes. yes. And that's where you met Dave. Yes, when he had hair, he was a client. Of, <laughs> he had a he was a, a client of mine. Uh, yeah, yeah. Do you still cut his hair today? I think you probably do. No, he does it himself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, take us into those uh, formative years. Your relationship was blossoming. You decided that you were for each other. Okay. Well, the um, the relationship that we were talking about before with the man that you know, said, I don't love you. I continued that relationship for nine years and had, had a child. I mean, you know, that just seems crazy. But that's – and it was um, only after really um, really coming to know Jesus that I just thought, what am I doing? I'm living, I'm living a lie. I'm not invested in this. I, I really had to be very honest with myself. So I was actually a 20 – I don't know, twenty-five-year-old single mum, really. Um, but I, I had been doing Dave's hair for a couple of years, and um, we met each other not just by chance um, at a social sort of event. The same week that I separated from my son's father, which was crazy. So I was pretty all over the shop and confused, and the last thing I wanted was a, a relationship. But I knew this person from doing his hair, and we we already had a professional relationship. So it was easy to um, have a conversation and just we became friends. Mm. It was, yeah. yeah. And Dave, a new relationship for you. Absolutely. Um, I split up with my partner probably several months beforehand. Um, and, um, yeah, I met Noni and I really liked her a lot. I mean, I just wanted... I think we were just friends mm. to start with. We were attracted to each other, but I just really uh, craved her company and I could see things in her, which I still see today. Um, and I, I think everyone that meets her sees those things as well. So this thought of, you know, relationships on the rebound, when you say, Noni, I was really messed up having gone through that breakup, and here's a sensitive, listening ear, someone who I feel like I can share my heart with. That sort of thing, is that something that you think is typical in the way relationships form everywhere? And is there something there oh. that you ought to be really cautious about? Is there anything typical in the way relationships are formed? Um, it wasn't, the timing of that I thought was 
bizarre, hence why we were we did develop a friendship. Now, um, I I had a successful business. I had plenty in my world. I had, I had plenty. I'd you know just recently given my life to the Lord as well. So this created even more conflict. And all I knew I wanted to do, I thought I've made so many bad decisions myself. I have just made so many poor choices. I can't even trust my choices. I'm just going to get to know this Jesus person. And I did, but I was a long way from being holy. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it amazing that uh, when we come to Christ, put our faith in him, uh, there's something that happens in the spiritual, mm. in God's realm, mm. but there's a lot of unraveling to do oh. if we're identifying then with Christ. All the mistakes and all of the bad things we've ever chosen somehow or other have their own consequences that we still have to work through. There's a lot of unraveling to yeah. do. Yeah, absolutely. It's messy. It's messy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dave, let me ask you about the formation of those relationships in your early years and what impact they might have once you find yourself into a new relationship and you're going to be married. Sure. I think, uh, well, all of my uh, emotional relationships were fairly immature. They were the classic romantic type of great, this huge outpouring of emotion and attachment. And so this... This is going to make me happy. You're going to make me happy. Everything's going to be great. And we should belong to each other. Not at all mature, not at all well-developed. And so there'd be a cycle of, um, um, yeah, this all-in, then disappointment, all-out. I know you describe this as Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, now, you might like to take us into this because, and I'm going to ask you, Noni, in just a moment, whether Jekyll and Hyde works for women as well as men. Yeah. But uh, give us your thoughts here on, you know, being one way one moment and wake up the next day, things have changed and you're thinking a whole lot differently. I think uh, that came, if I look back now, that comes down to that inner child of me, that self-protection thing of you disappointed me. I feel not, not worth, then I'm going to push you away or I'm going to destroy this relationship or, um, yeah, that, and it's a, it's a self-protection. And along with Which all it was, of these... Which wasn't really needed, but... Yeah. Along with all these feelings yeah. uh, comes uh, seeking some solace in someone else's arms. Absolutely. Uh, your imagination, uh, your uh, your mind is uh, running wild on all sorts of different levels. Yeah, well, you're craving acceptance and validation. And that, you know, now, Neil, I... And I hear this from other men as well who totally destroyed their lives uh, and their families is part of the keys is the desire for validation and with that as well, a real sense of lack of identity and worth. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation today. Our special guests, David and Noni Yates. They've got a book called Beyond Betrayal. Noni, let's talk about 
the timeline, uh, just so listeners can get a, a context for what's happening with the relationships as they go haywire mm-hmm. in your world. Yeah. Give us an insight here. Yeah. Well, I guess, um, you know, when at the time that I, I really met Dave and developed the friendship, um, there was a lot going on for both of us. Dave was very fearful about commitment, and as I was as well. But then after about three years of, of getting to know each other and working through some stuff, I realised this is a man that I want to spend the rest of my life with. Now, he was terrified of that kind of commitment. Um, and for me, it was like, well, how much longer? Like, I am I am a single mum. I'm, I'm capable of looking after myself. I don't need to waste time, you know, and I was actually developing more of a relationship with the Lord as well, which became my dependency. So um, uh, anyway, cut a long story short, Dave uh, decided that he did want to marry me and that was all very emotional as well. I knew it was a really big decision for him. And uh, so we got married on the 2nd of October, 1993. Ten days before that, I sold my hairdressing salon in Noosa Heads, packed up my son, packed up everything and went to live with Dave in Sydney and um, went to a city I knew no one. I'd never lived there. Um, it was difficult for me because I was I, I had trust issues. I was terrified of trusting someone else with my well-being. Um, but anyway, I, that was, I, I made that conscious decision and it was a very, very clear decision and I was just trusting the Lord with that as well. So we had been uh, together for quite some time. I had some... I had some gut feelings over that we had an 18-month long-distance relationship. Um, I just had this kind of check in my spirit about one particular work colleague he had and I would ask questions and get all the, you know, right, you know, his his lies. Um, but that's the thing, when you're being lied to, you don't know. You know, you, you're just like, oh, okay, well, you, no need to tell me lies. I'm not, I'm just asking an honest, you know, I want an honest um, answer. Anyway, it was not long. I think we'd been married for about six months and I just got up one morning and I just I just felt like my spirit, I just felt so grieved and I just burst into tears. And he just said, what's, what's up? You know, what's wrong? And I just said, I've got a real problem. And he said, what? I said, I don't trust you. And he looked at me and I just said, and I begged, I said, I don't, do I have any reason not to trust you? Because it was... They, you know, talk about your gut being your second brain. And everyone that we I speak to, betrayed spouses, they all say, we knew there was something wrong. We knew it was going, something was not right, but we couldn't put our finger on it. Um, so that's number one, always trust your gut. But, um, you know, he looked at me and he just said, Noni, I place you above all others. Now, I didn't know what that meant at all, but he's holding his new bride's hands that we just, you know, we're in the honeymoon phase, um, and he's just told me an outright lie that I didn't know about. I think two weeks, three weeks later, he came home from a work trip, and I was putting my um, son to bed, and I just, um, I could see even in the dark at the door, he had this hideous mark on his neck, and I felt nauseated. I was just sickened. I waited until my son went to sleep and I went in. He was getting ready in our in our bedroom and I just said, what's that? And again, more lies. What, 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 what do you mean? And he went to the bathroom and he was rubbing his neck like he could think he was rubbing something off. I didn't even know it was there. Mm. And I said to him, 
um, you know, you come back and talk to me. And he said, I had dinner with such and such. And I said, well, it looks like you had more than dinner. And so that was the beginning. And at that moment in time, um, the next morning, I was, I just got up. I was leaving. I just, all I knew what to do was to run. I, I had a lot of money. I was just going to pack up and go. And he came out and he begged me and he said, no, can you just please stay? He said, I need help. I, I want counseling. And he said, I want Christian counseling. Because Dave was not a believer when we got married. Um, I know that's But not, he that's, didn't want to lose you. Oh, no. Let me come to Dave. Mm. Dave, your work colleagues, yeah. your mates, yeah. they were covering up for you. And uh. let me just ask you, though, uh, when Nani is telling the story here, I wonder if you can let us in on just how significant infidelity was in those early years. Uh, it was rampant now. It was rampant. In the workplace. Um, in the workplace. Workplace. And in, in that culture. And I wouldn't say people were covering up. It was just a blind eye. It was just accepted. It was just wasn't, it was not even on the radar. Mm. And it, it's, when I first, when I first saw it, it shocked me. And here's the interesting thing. I always told myself, well, at least I'm not as bad as that person. Mm-hmm. I'm staying with my wife. At least I'm not flaunting this ABC or whatever. And there, the lies of comparison that just allow you to, and, and, and self-deceit, which allow you to continue. Work trips away. Yeah. Uh, the infidelity that happens, yep. some will say this is what happens on the first night of your uh, work trip away. Uh, even your boss, the company you work for, yes. uh, actually creating opportunities for infidelity. Does that happen? Absolutely. And in fact, there was examples of leadership there. It was the culture. Almost part of the culture. And so when you are making this first disclosure to Noni, uh, how are you feeling in that moment? That I, I was physically absolutely broken. However, I was so filled with shame, I controlled the information. I wanted to minimise my pain. I wanted to minimise Noni's, but I'll be honest here, when anyone says that now, and I'll hold other men accountable to this one is no you're minimizing your own pain mm. and your own discomfort your wife deserves the truth and i hid a lot of the truth from noni even then noni when you've understood that all of those things that you were suspecting were actually true as you say you were saying well you know i'm going to pack up everything and i'm going to go what is it that made you stay um, we went and saw a pastor of the church that we were looking at going to. And I guess this is the thing, just winding back to knowing Dave, having that friendship and me knowing Jesus, I knew that I just, I wanted him to have that same freedom. I knew there was something keeping him bound and trapped. I didn't know what it was. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, but I always prayed for his salvation. Always. I never prayed that we'd get married because I thought I made so many stupid decisions myself anyway. I always prayed for his salvation. Now, on that day, he didn't know that I was doing that. On that day, we went up and, um, you know, I, I thought, I'm not, I'm not speaking to this pastor. Dave can um, talk to him. And Dave just said, look, I've done something that could just destroy my marriage. I'm sure he's heard it all before. And anyway, that day, um, uh, he just said to us, he said to me, do you want this marriage to work? And I said, yes, I do. And he said to Dave, do you want this marriage to work? And he said, yes, I do. And he said, okay, we've got a starting point. Um, Dave gave his life to the Lord. And 
I'm just going, how can the worst day of my life then turn into such joy because he's, you know, he's um, surrendered his heart. What I didn't know was that there were so many other secrets hidden. So he had led me to believe that that incident with that work colleague was a one-off, a mistake. Now, what we know now is there's no such things as mistakes. People don't make a mistake and have an affair. They make choices and they have an affair. Um, mistake is putting diesel in your car instead of petrol. So um, <laughs> what I didn't know, and again, it was just like the Holy Spirit just kept showing me things. Um, He'd been having this relationship with this colleague for 18 months. So before we were married, he was in this relationship. Noni, if we're talking about that timeline that you went through uh, and all of those years covering up lies, deceit, and I think you put the timeline something like 25 years of that in your marriage – Really, the recovery process has been more recent, really just over this past four years. Uh, yeah, well, I, um, um, I didn't know what I was recovering from um, because everything was so hidden. So um, through, the, through our marriage, um, Dave's behaviour was, um, you know, he was quite cranky, a little... Um, yeah, you know, fun one minute and, you know, it was, it was real Jekyll and Hyde, like fun one minute and then cranky the next. And um, we had so many great times, but there was also a growing um, disease, I suppose, in him. And um, he ended up um, one night, you know, I said to him, we'd, we'd actually had two more children then. And I said, look, what, um, this is going to sound really bad, but things are a lot easier when you're not here. And Dave turned around and he, and he was all forlorn and, and I said, what, what are you thinking? Because he travelled a lot for work. And it was like, you know, our household was smooth and then he'd come home and there'd be this just tension. And um, he just said, I'm just wondering how I became this person that no one needs or wants. And right then I'm just thinking, oh, that's not what I said. You can have a pity party or you can get up and do something about it. And I said, you know, could you be depressed? You know, should you – so he went to the doctor and was diagnosed with depression and um, was put on medication and you were medicated for the next 25 years. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and again, like, I thought, okay, so it's, it's this depression, he's, he's sad or he's angry or, you know, and, and I, I didn't know. I didn't know. Um, then later on there was um, another another person that you were having um, an extra, extramarital relationship with. It was um, someone that you worked with and I got a text message. I'm like, what the heck is this? And he was away again. And so they – and then I found something else. And like, But there was always, I'm sorry, there was tears, mm. there was, you know. And, and then what I know now <clears> – <throat> is an apology without change behaviour, is a manipulation. It's and Yeah. And so what we lived through was, um, and like I, I will actually say that a fair recovery describes infidelity as the keeping of secrets. So whether that's pornography, one-night stands, emotional affairs, financial, um, physical affairs, massage parlours, infidelity is the keeping of secrets. And that in itself is where it becomes abusive as well because if – if 
you're in a relationship and you don't have all the information, you're not able to make healthy choices for yourself. So that's actually a form of coercive control. If someone else is controlling the narrative, how can you actually really make choices? So all the choices I made were just based on the amount of information I had at any one time. Dave, when you are going through the treatment for depression, Mm. did the medication help? Did that change your patterns of desire, patterns for infidelity? No, it, 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 look, it helped smooth out my irritability and put a longer wick on the candle, to speak. Um, however, I wasn't really bad. The depression wasn't what I was battling. What I was battling really was this um, need for validation, this, this need to please, or this need for attention. And... The other side of that was feeling completely unworthy of really love and, and not really um, and each not time, being very authentic at all. Each time there's a new relationship, a new affair, a new indiscretion, the thought that I'll never do that again. Yeah. There's some insights here into what happens in the male mind when you are promising Never to do that again. Yeah, great. And this is where all that energy goes to. All that emotional energy that I had was in this bargaining with myself. So there would be intense shame. There was the exhilaration of the mirror, the Mm. favourable mirror Mm. back at you of somebody that admires you in this very isolated way. But on top of that, then there was also this incredible shame afterwards and the recoiling and then what you call white-knuckling it, well, I'm not going to go there again because this makes me feel absolutely dreadful. And, oh, thank heavens I haven't been found out and there's too much risk. And six months could pass, two years could pass, but there was still that need eventually for... Approval. That that approval, thanks, External validation. External validation Mm. because I... I was just unhappy in myself. So there's that incongruence. At my core, I knew I loved Noni and I would never want to leave her. Yet I couldn't really accept... I really couldn't accept that I was really worthy of love now. You know, when we talk about these sorts of issues... It's a matter of cutting a long story short here because I I know we could go down all sorts of directions here and actually we could hear uh, confessions. Uh, We could hear all sorts of challenges from both sides about how all of these things have been so hard and so bad. But Noni, let me come to you because we don't want to spend our whole time talking about all of the bad things that have happened We want to be able to understand what it is that now puts you together on a pathway, on a journey that says, we can do this, we can work this out, we love one another, and we've got a future together. I wonder if if all of the pouring out of the truth actually does give you some level of freedom in making a new start. Yeah, well, Neil, we... um 
we actually did separate on the on the 28th of August 2018 because that's where I drew my line in the sand. You know, people go, oh, how could you put up with it for so long? But, you know, you don't even know what you're putting up with. Like people that are in coercive, emotionally or psychological abusive relationships often don't know. They just think there's something that's just not quite right. So I got to the point where I could see it for what it was and I um, I drew my line in the sand. I said, that's it. Dave just thought that he could manipulate all of that back, but this I was completely um, out. And um, through a whole sequence of events, which you'll have to get the book to read because it's just so long, not the book, just the way it's kind of all come about, <laughs> but um, I um, we went to a um, – I'd, I'd, I'd instructed a lawyer um, for separation and financial separation, and – I went. We went to a um, separation specialist that actually got us to a point where um, she had us to agree to the process of a pos- possible reconciliation without being attached to the outcome. And that was a, there were some steps to go through. One of them was 100% monogamy, that we sort out our finances, but 100% monogamy. Now, Dave went straight into thinking, oh, I've got a chance, and started sending me couples counselling. And I just went, whoa, ease up, Turbo. That's not going to happen. Anyway, I just had this, again, checking my spirit, and I just thought, first of all, I thought, I can just check this box and go, yep, I'm just doing this, and then I'll prove to everyone and my family and us that I've done everything I can. I, you know, Then I walked out just thinking, what the heck am I doing and what have I agreed to? Because I was terrified that I was almost out of this emotionally abusive relationship, and yet maybe there was a hook that was getting me back in. It was scary. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, I need to be authentic. I can't, I can't do this half-heartedly. So I knew that I needed to know the truth. And I just said to – I met Dave and I had it all written down. I said, Dave, you know, these are the five steps that we're meant to be doing. Now, as far as monogamy, 100% monogamy, you know we've had discussions about that. Are we on the same page? And I, and I said, you know, um, have you – and I sp- – Built everything out, mm. had one-on-one time with anyone, Facebook, Instagram, um, you know, work. I, I spelt everything out. And I was terrified to even give that to him in writing. But I'd just been at a prayer meeting at church and we turned up and I sat with Dave and because um, Dave was all getting full of hope. And so he read that and instead of getting I – was, I was thinking he was going to get angry. I really thought he'd get angry. And instead his whole demeanor just softened. And he just folded it, this written letter, and he just said, no, can I answer this fully later? <laughs> mm. And this is what really gets me yeah. because it was there and then that God changed my heart. <laughs> and I separated from Dave because the only feelings I was having towards him was resentment and contempt, and that's not what I wanted. So I had to be separate from that. But when God changed my heart, like when God changes your heart, not even the worst thing can alter that. So that was the beginning of Dave starting to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. He didn't quite get there. Yeah. And that's what, you know, we'll, you'll read about on our blogs and stuff, you know, trickle truth and multiple D-days and all of this deception. But that was the beginning of, you know, some... Yeah. So the thing that is needed in recovery for is safety and truth. Safety and truth. Dave, what can you add to that? 
Um, just that my heart absolutely wept. Just um, it was just oh, I remember that moment, <laughs> um, and I went back and I started writing everything down, and I thought I really can't say that. I, I still I wanted to be so honest. I wanted to clear the decks completely, but yet still shame. Fear and, and shame. Fear and, and shame made me yeah. want to control it a bit because you know what? If Nani knows everything, she'll never look at me again mm. in her life. And so it was quite a process now. And God worked his way. Mm. Things were discovered. I got more bold to say things. We got better guidance. Mm. But it took time. And I really regret that it took as long as it did. Who is the one or more that should be in on all the dirty laundry? Should it be husband and wife sharing the intimate things of your heart, even even the bad stuff? Do you let your pastor in? Is that the person who ought to understand that you're going through a challenge and moving towards a recovery process? Is it a counsellor who's sworn to confidentiality and won't share these things outside of what you share in the gathering, uh, in the meetings that you might have? Who ought to be a part of understanding that there's been really big challenges? There's all sorts of things that are in the, in you the background. You need to seek hidden. out safe one or two safe people. And when I say safe, they're not ones that are going to tell you what to do or cover your, you know, your sin or, you know, they are ones that are going to sit with you and not judge. Um, what Dave and I did was we actually had um, a core group of six people and we just, they'd never, they were experienced pastors, but never experienced this as such. But we knew that they loved us and then they would pray for us, and they didn't ask questions. They were supportive, and they had empathy. Um, and empathy is not telling you what to do or what they'd do if it was them. No one can tell you that. So you need to save people. But as far as a loving relationship, um, you can never be unconditionally loved while you are only conditionally known. Mm. So if Dave's only showing me a part of him that he wants to you know, things that I want to see or things that other people want to see, he's not even allowing me to fully love the person that he really is. Exactly. You know? If you are going through something right now, as there may be one or two listening mm. who are going through a time they're relating really, really well with the sorts of things that you're sharing here, uh, is it likely to be a destructive moment if they uh, have a dinner date and... Oftentimes it's he, but sometimes it's she begins to share these intimate secrets of the past. How do you actually go about okay. breaking the ice yeah. to start to a that. healing process? All right, come back to you, Noni. Yeah, um, you don't do a dump and run or mm -hmm. a dump and duck for cover. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you need what's called a full therapeutic disclosure, and that's with the help of um, a counsellor, therapist, specialist, um, what you need is someone who is trauma-informed, um, someone that can look at this through, th through the lens of uh, the abuse cycle that betrayal is as well. And um, if you are going to do it one-on-one, -on -one, if you're going to do it without um, support, you need to go very sensitively. 
Um, The one thing you need to do also is call things for what they are. People don't need to know um, intimate details or comparisons or, but if, if, if you've got secrets like uh, Josh Powell, I think it's in the front of our book. There's a quote that I use saying the um, permanent withholding will always be a permanent deficiency, an obstacle to the love that could have been. And that's exactly what we experienced because the love we have now is very different to the love we had before. Let's take a call from a listener. Dee is in Tasmania. Hello, Dee. Thanks for waiting patiently. Yeah, hello. What are your oh, thoughts? Oh, you're welcome. Well, first of all, thank you for, so much for your transparency, vulnerability and honesty over the air, Dave and Noni. I just, um, I'm appreciating it because I think so often Christians misapply biblical advice in these situations and actually do harm. 100%. In think what to do. Yeah. Um, look, I, I just, in full disclosure, I am a counsellor, so I'm just sort of reflecting on it personally and professionally, what you're sharing. But I guess my comment is, um, I think sometimes we make, we make an idol of this word need. Like I noticed that the word need has come up a lot in the conversation. I need um, this, I need that. And I'm wondering if it's actually, maybe we could reframe it and say demand. We demand validation. Uh, we demand getting things met from illegitimate sources rather from God or from healthy sources and healthy ways of doing things. I just wanted to throw that out there in the conversation because um, I think sometimes we can almost make sacred a need. It's like an uh, no. entitlement. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's probably a, a pretty good call. When we say it's what I desired or, or what I felt what I felt was going to make me feel better, really. It's what you feel is going to, make, going to meet your need. It's not what you really need. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah it's not what you really need. But you can almost sort of demand that you have to have it met, and so you'll do anything, that, mm, you know. Well, and I think that's where it gets very sticky yeah, um, for, yeah. for people. Yeah. Dee, yeah. thank you so much for a good contribution there. Thanks, and doesn't Dee. that demonstrate how complex it is Mm. when you're talking about two different people in all of the complexities that you have in a life and you embrace what we understand as Christians as a marriage becoming one flesh and what that means in the intimacy that you might have that causes a flourishing relationship all of the things that from our past have to be sorted even now even for those who feel like they have a good relationship, all of the things that might be happening today or this weekend that might need to be sorted. This is just a demonstration just how complex things can be, Noni. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, But I I think that um, when we look at that word need too, I think that entitlement plays a very, very, very big part. Mm. And it's also that, um, uh, that striving to fill empty spaces with spaces that really God can only fill. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, there, there's just so much in this. There's so many layers. So I know many layers. that this is a big dimension and perhaps we'll have you back on another day if you're happy to come back and continue a conversation talking about these things. But it's what's going up in your mind, uh, the things that are taking us on all sorts of different dimensions. Uh, this is a challenge and this is a big question that we'll answer on another day, but but perhaps just a thought or two from you, Dave, around how you actually uh, embrace 
bringing your mind and thoughts under control because those are the things, aren't they, that are out of control that take you into the infidelity. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that is and that is really also just part of the story. But uh, it's one thing to white-knuckle things and say, I'm not going to do things and I'm not going to go there. But I can say there's not a person, a man or woman, that hasn't uh, done this, that hasn't thought about it first. Mm. And no one trips over and falls into an affair. It doesn't Mm. happen. And so for me, it's been quite a journey examining the one, the vulnerabilities, also part of those lies about identity and self-worth, and then also discovering the soothing mechanisms that I've had for when I'm tired, angry, hungry, or or I'm not comfortable being uncomfortable, and then working out ways to regulate those Mm. better. So so, there's so many layers to it, and this has been kind of the exciting thing of the journey for me over the four years. Um, (laughs) At this moment in time, I've never been more comfortable with myself Mm. as a person, (laughs) which is bizarre, (laughs) okay? Um, So... Uh, and I'll just go to the Psalms, David, which is, um, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. I hid from my own thoughts. I hid from my own heart. I was completely incongruent with my core values. And that is what made of quite an unhappy and irritable person and not a good person to be around. And I was never fully myself. And how could I fully be loved? So knowing how broken we are, and accepting our brokenness for what it is and recognising it in the light of God's love is a way to healing. No one knows our thoughts and our hearts like God does. And our submission to him perhaps is the thing that gives us the strength and the confidence to be able to stand up against those things that are continually bombarding our minds and our desires and weighing on our lives and affecting our marriages. Well, we have run out of time, and I know, and I want to thank the two of you for your candid openness today, and I know that listeners will have enjoyed hearing that, and not only enjoyed, but been challenged by some of those really deep insights. I want to thank you so much for being so upfront and honest, and and we will make another date for another day, and we'll get into some other uh, different dimensions here. Mm. But for listeners, and I know you've made a lot of friends today, and uh, for listeners who want to get a hold of your book, Best way, <clears throat> maybe uh, by just going to the website. Yeah, just just go to the website. Um, it's www.beyondbetrayalrecoverybook.com. And also on there, you'll find a whole heap of blog mm. posts. And the way we've written this, I just want to say too, is and the reason we've written it like it was because it's the messy middle. You know, like it didn't come from a clinical perspective or um, someone that was fully healed and restored. This was written, in fact, began writing and our last D-Day was on March, uh, I think it was April Fool's Day 2019. And so we, this is written in real-time recovery as are our blog posts as well. So I, I just really – I've also got one on there called Recovery Resources for Everyone and um, that's a great starting point for anyone that just wants to go and do some research themselves. And there's a lot of a lot of resources there because 
we do need the tools along the way as well. Mm. Sometimes we wonder what we're gifted to do and you recognise that you've had an incredible story from your past and you realise also that there are so many who face the same challenges that you do and so isn't it amazing the way God captures your own hearts together to tell your story that will be about healing those hurts and getting people back on track uh, on all sorts of different dimensions as people are going through these things. I want to thank you so much for that candid, wonderful response to the things we've been talking about. David and Noni Yates, uh, Noni mentioned Beyond Betrayal Recovery Book. Dot com. Simply Google their names, you'll come across it. Beyond Betrayal Recovery Book.com. David and Noni, thank you so much for sharing your hearts with us today. Can I just say one last thing in closing? Yep. If I could have scripted my life differently, I probably would have. It wouldn't have been my choice, but God's ways are higher. <laughs> and it takes time to discover that, doesn't it? It's not exactly where I planned to be, Neil. <laughs> we'll talk again another Thanks. day. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.